Father, uh, I'm humbled and I'm challenged in the face of, of men of faith. Great examples um, in Scripture, Hebrews chapter 11, but all throughout Scripture, just the prophets, the men you've called, the, the leaders. Uh, it's a humbling thing to see when people are so sold out to you, um, desiring nothing more but, but just to work with you and for you and to be um, where the Holy Spirit is, that, that everything else pales by comparison, the money, the, the stature, the stuff, what's fair. Like, all that stuff doesn't matter, Father. And, and I just thank you for examples. I thank you for m maturity in the body of Christ. I thank you for uh, the people that challenge me to be a better man. I just pray for this church. Pray for this community. Let us not slide into complacency. Let us not be comfortable. Let us not just merely seek comfort uh, in stuff, in programs and events. Let us truly just yearn and hunger and desire fellowship with you, uh, enjoying what you are doing in our midst, wanting nothing more than to be a part of that, seeing the fruit of that, the relational harmony, the unity, the love, the grace, the forgiveness. If we ask pastors half a, half a world away to forgive people that have killed their families and to lead their congregations to do the same, to reconcile and to love, God, it's, it's a shame if we carry petty grievances against members of our family that slighted us, that insulted us, a boss that doesn't value us, someone that cuts us off on the road. Uh, we have so much to learn. Father, just call us to a, a higher, a higher discipleship, a more mature faith that we would really roll up our sleeves and understand that there's so much opportunity for us to grow and to be used and to do and to enjoy and to learn if we would just work hard. Um, if we just care enough, let us just not be complacent. Uh, the lowest common denominator is not something that glorifies you. In Christ's name, amen. Couple, couple, um, I really don't want to, but there's just a lot of stuff going on, so I, I feel the need to kind of do announcements, but I'm really not in the mood for it, but maybe that's okay. Um, there's an atheism class that I'm teaching, uh, philosophy and history of atheism. There's a lot of other great colleges at the Kilns, um, archaeology and the Bible. The sign-ups have started online. You can go to kilnscollege.org and, and get the registration forms um, and sign up for those classes. The reason I'm telling you is we're capping them at 25 and there's two of those classes, like the Archaeology and the Bible one, et cetera, that will probably fill up really quickly. Um, so just letting you guys know so that, that you have the, the opportunity to respond um, and make sure that you're in there for those classes. It's amazing some of the classes being taught, uh, opportunities for people to really learn and go deeper. Um, so hopefully you guys can do that. Um, and uh, Kip, by the way, if you ha we, we talked about the Kilns Bookstore earlier. Kip's been running that. Kip, our administration, graphic artist, high school. Uh, he, I know he's got some other titles that he's thought of. What else you got, Kip? What's that? Accountant. Accountant. Okay. Controller, human resources person. Um, tech, computer tech. Anyways, Kip, Kip does a lot. So he's 
now also running the, the Kilns Bookstore, and it's turning a profit. Um, and people are showing up from all over the community. There's a radio ad that's going to be starting next week. Um, super cool ministry to build relationships with people in the community um, to actually be able to engage and talk to them about matters of faith and matters of the heart um, and that they can see that our relationship with God is authentic, it's real, it's living. Um, churches in America are doing something really silly. They think that we live in a Jerusalem culture. What I mean by that is like Peter goes out one day and he preaches and 2,000 people are knocking down the door to become Christians. And churches in America think that that's the way it is. Like, man, if we just held an outdoor rally, like, there'd be thousands of people knocking down the door to become Christians. And guess what? That's not the case. We do not live in a Jerusalem culture. This is much closer to Paul's ministry in Athens. And he labored and labored and labored and preached for years and had like a handful of people that got it, okay, in Athens. Uh, it wasn't that Paul was a worse preacher than Peter. Man, if Peter had to show up in Athens, no. No, it had to do with worldviews and cultures. And, and churches are acting like it's a Jerusalem culture, and we can just preach at people, and they're going to be like, oh, that's what I've been hungry for, someone just to preach at me. Now I'll come. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not the culture we're in. We're in this Athens culture where people need to see it worked out in our lives, and they need to be able to talk and engage and, and dialogue, and we need to be able to build relationships and, and then see where that goes. Um, this bookstore is our attempt, if, if you're familiar with recent church history, it's like Francis Schaeffer in Labrie in Switzerland, building a place where people can come and dialogue about things, and he can build a relationship to try and tell them about the love of Christ. Um, so anyways, I bring that up because you guys could really encourage Kip um, by valuing that bookstore. We've got a whole Christmas season here. Half of you buy coffee before 10 o'clock every morning. Um, you can encourage our brother that works really, really hard amongst us by just diverting yourself there and, and coming in and being a part of that and sending your friends there. There's no reason why you can't buy Christmas presents there. Um, super cool. And uh, that's enough. I got, I got more announcements, but you guys aren't in the mood. Um, <laughs> so we've been in a series on John, um, but we're not in John this morning because we were in Chicago, and I had this experience, and I was like, man... Uh, and I told all these church leaders, I was kind of facilitating these meetings, and I got up and I said, listen, i got to be honest with you, I wish that I could bring my whole church in Bend, Oregon, um, and, and have had them in this last 45 minutes of prayer. Um, this, it was about 45 minutes of prayer, and we're going to get to that a little more specifics in a minute, but it was so life-changing. Um, that it was really easy for me to think, man, if people in my church were there, it would light a fire that would be unbelievable and it would have nothing to do with me or anybody else. It would just be being in that presence with the, with the Spirit, like really moving, and all of a sudden it's like a lot of the petty stuff just goes away. And you, you just cannot help but just, I'm in. God, I'm in. This is all I really want. This is all I've ever really, all I've ever really wanted is this kind of fellowship, this kind of... Um, whatever, and um, that means nothing to you because you guys weren't there. But in the middle of that, I realized this is what I want to teach you, and there's a paradigm shift going on in my mind. Um, and I, I, I don't know about you guys, but um, it's easy to kind of get in the routine and just begin doing the, the, the routine of religion and then have moments where you kind of wake up again. You know, and then you get into your routine, and you go a while, and you're not a bad person at all. 
not a bad pastor at all, whatever. I don't want you guys thinking I'm a bad pastor. But, you know, you get into the routine. And then you have moments where you're just like, wow, I'm, I've been seeing in black and white instead of color. Or my, my, I've been seeing just my feet and I'm missing the bigger picture. And, and you kind of wake up and then time goes by. But um, we all need those times where, where we're recharged that way, where God gives us a, a vision for what could be, what should be. And that happened to me in the, in the middle of this prayer time. It was, it was a paradigm shift that started it. Paradigm shift happened this way. Marcel's boss was in Chicago. This guy named Cyprian was in Chicago with us for these meetings. He led the prayer time. Before the prayer time, he was introduced, and his story was shared. Here's a little bit of his story. He was born to peasants in Congo who fled to Rwanda to escape tribal conflict that happened after independence in 61. Because at the conference of Berlin in like 1885 or something, the Europeans just decided to put a line somewhere, and they cut tribes in half and languages in half, and, and the cycle of violence has never really stopped because it just looked good on a map to a couple of European leaders that just wanted to take whole chunks of Congo, like of, of Africa. Congo is like the second or third largest country in all of Africa, and it belonged just to King Leopold. It was his own private, like, backyard garden that he tilled for rubber and other things. Uh, he introduced the, pro the process of cutting off people's hands and arms that you saw about in the movie Blood Diamond. King Leopold introduced that, right? And, and then he decided to, to, as he was dying, to give it to his country, Berlin, who just did the same thing and exploited it. But if tribal conflict... And then when the Belgian left, there was no sense of, of authority. Even though they brutalized these people, now the authorities left, and everyone tries to go back to what used to be there before the line. Does that make sense? And there's all this conflict. So um, Cyprian fled to Rwanda to escape the conflict. In 1992, uh, this is before the genocide in Rwanda, he was jailed for helping a Tutsi. Um, in 93, there's a tragic death of his 8-year-old son, that same year, the, the, you know, within a year, less than a year, in 94, the genocide occurred in Rwanda. He organized his neighbors to surround the house of another neighbor who was a, a, a Tutsi, who was um, a bunch of armed men with machetes, the Intahamwe, uh, were, were there high on drugs, just looking to kill and to loot and to basically steal these people, we can just dismiss them and take all their stuff, and this, isn't this a fun party? Um, and Cyprian protected that house and stood up to these men who were on drugs, were crazed with machetes, with blood on it, and he says, you will not enter this house. You will not, and he, he kept fighting with them, and they finally left, um, even after threatening um, his life, the life of the other neighbors. Uh, if you know anything about the genocide, um, the Tutsi rebel groups coming from Rwanda swept down and kind of put an end to the genocide, and now all the Hutus had to flee. They fled to Congo because there's retribution violence now. So they all flee into Congo, and Cyprian had to flee into Congo as well, where you have nothing, where, where people are dying all around you, and, and this is the case, right? Um, people on your tail that want to, they're chasing you, that want to kill you, even though you'd been fighting for justice. He comes back to his home uh, a year later to find that it's confiscated. Everything he owns um, his whole home, where his family had, had grown up, where, where they made their home, is gone, taken, and you have nowhere to go. You have no advocate. You have no home. Um, he then 
uh, took over World Relief in Congo in that area and began kind of the aftermath of, of the genocide, began trying to take food to needy people. And it was really fascinating in Chicago hearing this story of, of a young boy with a gun trying to hold them up and, and yelling at him and saying, give me that food. And they're like, no, this is for the people. And he says, no, give me the food or I'm going to shoot you. And Cyprian takes this, this young boy, takes him to the side, and it says to him, if you have to shoot somebody, I understand. Shoot me. Um, I brought these people here. Um, so you can shoot me, not them. But you're not going to get this food. You're not going to get these tools. This is for those people, those needy people over there that need it. If you have to shoot someone, shoot me. And this went on for a period, and the man became very angry. The, the boy with the gun became very angry, very agitated, kept backing up and pointing it at Cyprian, you know, any minute to shoot kind of a thing. And Cyprian just kept, I understand if you need to shoot somebody, but this food is for those people. Um, you know, obviously he lived through that, right? But, so this is the story of this guy. And he reads Psalm 5. So I'm going to read it for you now. And then we're going to watch a video clip. There was a guy there, um, a guy like Matt, that wants to give back to God, and that's what he cares about. But this guy from Indiana that found us about two months ago, found World Relief Next, found us, and says, hey, I'm a videographer in Indiana. I want to help. How can I help? I just want to give back my time. So we told him about these meetings in Chicago, and he drove up from Indiana, gave two days of his time, he's got four kids and all this, to video all these things. And I told him after this, I said, man, can I clip out this video of Cyprian talking about Psalm 5, introducing this prayer time? I'd really like to bring it back to my congregation. And he says, can you send me some of the footage that your people took in Africa, and I'll, I'll go home and put all this time to trying to package it for you and get it to you for Sunday. I mean, here's this guy that I just met, right? So this guy, John from Indiana, uh, did just that. You're going to see the video in a minute. He put together this video of Cyprian talking about Psalm 5. So I'm going to read Psalm 5, and you're going to hear it the way I was reading it before the prayer time. Like a Western American who's grown up with relative peace in his lifetime, with relative uh, prosperity and harmony, and I read this, and it's scripture, and I'm like, oh, this means so much to me. There's people chasing me and enemies and bad people. That's right. This means so much to me. I've read it that way, um, and, and we're going to hear it that way because that's the way our ears are tuned. And then I want to play this video, and if you need to, close your eyes and just listen to the words. If the images are distracting, I'll, I'll ask them to turn it way up, the volume way up, um, so you can hear the words. But in that moment, the two minutes of listening to Cyprian, it was a radical paradigm shift. I was like, this guy knows what Psalm 5 is about. This guy can teach me what it means to really pray, what it means to really cry out to God. Um, I do a really good job of, of just, I don't know what I do. Anyways, let's read it, and then we're going to watch the video. Like I said, really listen to the words. Um, this is Psalm 5. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Give ear. You'll see Cyprian do that. Give ear. Listen to my words. Consider my sign. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God, for to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait in expectation. You are not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you, the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. 
bloodthirsty and deceitful men, the Lord abhors. But I, by your great mercy, will come into your house. In reverence will I bow down toward your holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make straight your way before me. Not a word from their mouth can be trusted. Their heart is filled with destruction. Their throat is an open grave, and with their tongue they speak deceit. Declare them guilty, O God. Let their intrigues be their downfall and banish them for their many sins, for they have rebelled against you. But let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may rejoice in you. For surely, O Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And the first one says, give ear to my words. Uh, It is so real that uh, believers uh, many times don't, don't walk, don't act, don't think as if the Lord has ear. So it is, it is found um, so uh, commonly that when we want to make the Lord real in our lives, we find that he has ear and he listens. He even has eyes and he sees. He has a hand and he touches. It is so real that we find many times that we believers, we walk as if that was not the reality. But this verse tells me that our Lord has ear. It means he listens. These three first verses, brothers and sisters, when we, we, we sang um, just a minute ago, I was referring to this verse with a remembrance that Congolese people are crying. Ten years of suffering. For many of them, ten years without living in their own houses. Running for their lives because the enemy is behind, wanting their lives. Ten years, they have not worked, they have not gone to their land, they have not harvested. These are the type of people, many of them are that type of people. So they are crying out to God. The invitation this morning as we pray is, Could we please join in this cry and cry out to God for Congo and for Congolese people? This talk this morning isn't about Congo. It's not about Africa, and it's not about whatever. Um, What it is about is it's about us. It's about a paradigm shift. 
It's about truth. It's about what is this thing called Christianity? It's about perspective that comes when you stand outside and then look back in and you go, ah, I see something I didn't see before. Um, Matt asked me, Matt, college pastor, asked me on the plane on the way back. He was too tired to do his 20-page paper that was due Friday that he missed his due date on. And so we were talking because, like, we were just both exhausted. (laughs) I'm going to just speak straight at you here. He asked me, he goes, so how do you, how do you disciple or talk to guys that are addicted to pornography. So what do you say to those guys, Ken? And I said to Matt, I said, I tell them to knock it off. That's what I do, because it, it, I don't get it. I don't get it. I tell them to knock it off, and Matt's like, yeah, that's what I say too. It doesn't really work, you know. Um, so we, we ended up talking for like a, an hour. And I kind of tacked something in on the back end of that conversation. I said, listen, there's something here you need to, we need to, to get and to remember. And that's, we can, we can talk about how to play defense and not sin or not be tempted or whatever. Um, and, and to be honest with you, like my biggest thing that way, men, go to bed tired. Like, pour yourself out in serving God that you go to bed tired but happy. That's, that's my number one defense thing. Anyways, I said, but, but Matt, here's, uh, boy, we got to remember there's another side to this. Um, to let go of something, um, we have to re- remember that it's letting go of something lesser because there's, there's something higher. There's something real and better and, and bigger and more meaningful and more significant and more satisfying. It just... It comes up in Psalm 5, but let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Spread your protection over them that those who love your name may rejoice in you. There's a happiness, a fullness that comes from from having God that makes other things not desirable anymore. Um, I will gladly give this away if I can have this. And, and if we're just trying to talk to people and, and get them to let go of something that they've built some kind of pattern or habit around, and it's just about prying fingers off and, and using a stiff will, like that, that, that's not good enough. That's, that's uh, heaviness and it's guilt and it's legalism and it, it needs to be done because Jesus says, gouge your right out lest that eye make you sin. Okay, so this is serious stuff. This is important, but, but there's another part to it. Why is it so important that we don't sin? Why is it, is it such a big deal that we be found with God? Because this is, this is it. It's the source of joy. It's the source of satisfaction, of hope, of life, of everything that makes us grow and be who we were meant to be. And, and we have to come back and say, look, there's this, but you can't have this, a holy God, and that, the two can't go together. And if you really understand what this is, then you'll gladly let go of that. Um, I thought of a phrase when I was thinking yesterday, and I think, I think we have Christianity by degrees in America. We think there's unchristian over here and Christian over here, and then it's by degrees. 
And we figure if we're just ahead of the pack, then that's a pretty good thing. And we think that's what growth really means, is kind of making sure that we stay out in front of the pack or maybe get a little bit further along in kind of Christianity by degrees. And I'm here to say that's not the case. It's either off or on. You're either dead or alive. Your heart is either um, stone or it's flesh. You've either decided to submit and make your life about following and serving God, or you are still, even if you, you, you clothe it in religious garb, you're still serving yourself. There, there's an either-or-ness here. It was all about the word repentance. It, there is no in-between in repentance. Repent and follow me. There's just no degrees. And what we've obliterated is that there's a maturity thing. Um, this is, my daughters have been drawing flowers. I think I can do it. There's a, there's a maturity aspect, which is different than, than dead or alive. Right? My daughters are alive. They're not mature. They're maturing, and they're going to get even more mature. Um, I'm not fully mature. There were some pastors at this conference that made me feel like, wow, I'm a loser. <laughs> like, don't, I don't want anyone to know. But, man, like, that, if that's maturity, holy cow. Like, I'm still growing. But I'm growing because I'm alive, not growing out of something dead. Jesus talks about the parable of the soils and the seed. And there's there's a, a heart that receives the message, which is the seed in that parable. And that heart receives that, that seed, the message of Christ. And if it really receives it, then that seed grows. And so there's two things. There's, there's are we following Christ, yes or no? And if we are, we will grow. The fruit of the Spirit is, okay, we, we will grow and be, be renewed and made in the likeness of Christ because the Holy Spirit in us is a, a drive engine. It's a mechanism forcing us to grow. But if that's not there, it's not degrees and we're over this, we're dead. We're still living for ourselves. We have not chosen to follow Christ. To voluntarily, this is the picture of baptism, to die to self the old way, and be raised to new life in Christ. The whole picture of baptism. Born again. It's the phrase Jesus uses at Nicodemus' house, right? Um, it's not Christianity by degrees. So I think the problem with pornography is when we're playing this game, <laughs> it, I mean, it, we're, what, do you, what do we hope to accomplish? That individual doesn't have anything going on that's growing and, and pushing out the old self, the other. There, there's nothing there other than just habits and behaviors. There's no, but it's, it's stone. Even if they go to church, even if they play Christian. So, I mean, I, out of this whole conversation, I'm like, man, this is the only thing that really matters. True, true Christianity. Um, letting Christ dwell richly in me. And if I have that there and, and just submit to that and, and pray to that and just let that lead me and say, man, God, there's this, there's that, there's everything else that's difficult, that's hard. 
but, but um, grow that out of me. Let the roots of this kind of push it out so that it doesn't have room to breathe, so that what I really want more and more and more is not the vain, dry, crusty pleasures of before I knew you, but like the rich, like just satisfying, just oh, real, deep pleasures of knowing you. Joy. I get up and I smile. I go to bed and I smile. I, I had someone talk to me. One of these pastors was talking about doing ministry in, in communist China. And he goes, it's amazing. He goes, you know the Christians in communist China. He goes, and this isn't just a Christian little cliche. He goes, you actually do um, because they, they have a twinkle in their eye and they smile. And he goes, in that culture, you know, 15, 20 years ago, nobody else was smiling. Nobody else was, was happy. And he goes, remarkable thing. Now, in America, we all smile. We all laugh because we're all about image and externals and and just feeding ourselves with entertainment and pleasure, and we exercise ourselves to death every day with things that would manifest happiness. But I've been around enough people, I, I know myself before I was a Christian, um, it doesn't matter how many fake smiles we put out there or how much makeup or how much we dress it up, there's an emptiness that exists when there's not real joy or real peace or the mechanism to actually really love other people. If you're still serving yourself, love is a bad investment. It's, I mean, seriously, it's a bad investment. It's a giving away what you could be leveraging to serve yourself. You get that? And deep down, you know, like, I pretend to love, but <laughs> I, mean, I really don't care. Um, I hide that, you know, or whatever, but... I've, I've felt that before. I know what that feels like. I've talked to people. There's nothing alive. There's no reason to behave a certain way or be holy or, or, or give up things that, that you've gotten accustomed to holding on to that bring you some kind of weird, warped pleasure. Um, we read Scripture with a weird paradigm. We make it serve us. So here's a discussion on um, stress. I think all of us are stressed. It's the human condition right now. I'm just stressed. Maybe it's just me and I have enough stress to like stretch it over all he gets. I don't know. Poor kids. Just does it. When you're stressed, you react. You don't reflect. When you're stressed, you react. You don't reflect. And so whatever your, your base programming is here, that reaction feeds this. And if you've not, not yet really like, decided to, to put your faith in God and follow Christ, your reaction to stress will be to guard and to protect and to make secure that self that you're trying to promote. Marcel, or Cyprian, said something right after that, that clip, right before we started praying. He says, now brothers... Let us not pray out of desperation for things we need. Let us pray out of hunger because we desire God. It says here again in Psalm 5, Let all who take refuge in you be glad. 
All throughout scripture, Proverbs, the Psalms, you see this imagery of God being a strong tower, being a rock, being the, the, the wing of an eagle, this like under the wing protecting the, the more vulnerable parts. And, and you see this thing where it's all about grounding yourself on something secure, something solid. You see, it's all throughout scripture. And so when we are weak, when we are tired, when we are not strong, when we are stressed, when things are, are bad in our, in our finances, in our jobs, in our relationships, we, we, we don't, out of a cry of desperation, panic that we're sinking, what we do is we look to God and say, God, I want you. I hunger for you. You are the only thing that's going to ground me, give me a foundation, protect me, um, restore me, renew me, give me hope, and give me joy in the midst of this trial. That even as I'm watching my little ship sink, I'm on this rock, and I know that's all I really need. And, and I just thought, that's the moment of my paradigm shift. I'm like, how does this guy who's, who, who's lost everything and had people push him out of his home with guns and enemies and chasing and, and loved ones dying, how does this guy not say we should pray out of desperation because God hears our cries to restore our stuff? Yet all he talks about is this hunger for God. And I'm like, man, my American Christianity is so shaped that although I have everything, I cry regularly in my prayers out of desperation for God to just um, fix that one little piece. And, and it's as if um, my arms are so full of stuff. You know, you pile it up, you pile it up, you pile it up, you pile it up, and and you're there, and you got something on your foot, and it's like, okay, put that coffee mug on my pinky here. Like, I think I can get one more thing. This is all our stuff, and we're so weighed down and maxed out. And I'm not talking just monetary stuff. I'm just our busyness, our values, our everything. And, and we drop that coffee mug, or someone knocks that coffee mug for us, and we're like, ah! oh, my gosh, God, you've got to get it for me. Just right there on my pinky, please. You gotta return that. My my whole life is falling apart because I don't have that one toy or money or security or relationship. And geez, God, you gotta restore that. You gotta, 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 please, quick. Out of desperation. And I think God is is standing back and just saying, I don't even know what to do with you. I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with you. And here's a man with his arms empty who has nothing and just says, let us cry out to God in hunger. In hunger. Because we are alive. We are here. We want him. We, we, that's all we're desiring. That's all we really need. That's the source of joy and satisfaction and life. It's all going to start here. It's going to drive it. And isn't this beautiful? And let's not... Let's not pray out of desperation. And I thought, as he was saying this, I was like, wow, that's a prophetic word. And maybe, maybe this picture is why Jesus says it's hard for the rich guy to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because he's so preoccupied with, with guarding his lot. It's like the sandcastle where the tides come in and you have to keep adding sand and 
packing up a wall in front of your sandcastle, and then you make a moat in front of your sandcastle, and then you send your like sibling that's younger to make a sandcastle in front of your sandcastle, knowing it'll get destroyed, but it'll protect your sandcastle. And, and you just, where the rich man is so busy that when stressed, we, we react rather than, rather than reflect, don't we? And when that rich man that has to manage so many things is stressed, he will always default towards security, making it all more secure, protecting it all, dealing with it all. And Jesus says, man, I don't know. That guy, is just, he's just off doing his thing. It's really hard for him to let go. Because if he wanted to follow me, he'd have to stop the juggling act and he'd have to die to the old self that was about self. And he would have to be born again in, into following me. And he no longer can be about self. He's about relationship with me and serving me and doing my work. And so Jesus says to people, he said, I do only what the Father gives me to do. I say only what the Father gives me to say. And I think we, I think we look at that and... Um, and go, oh, wow, Jesus was a spiritual guy. I think it was meant deeper than that. I think Jesus was saying, this is, this is maturity. This is the full flowering of maturity in relationship with God. Is that it's, God, tell me what to do and I'll do it. Tell me where to go and I'll go. Tell me what to give and I'll give. Tell me what to let go of and I'll let go of it. You tell me and I'll do it. I'll do only that which you give me to do because I desire, I hunger, I yearn for that relationship to be in fellowship with you. And being where you are and doing what you're doing, I desire nothing else. And I don't think Jesus was just being Jesus only. He's, in being Jesus, he was showing us what, what the ultimate goal really is. And I don't know about you guys, but... Um, we, uh, we went to Moody. When we were in Chicago, we didn't sleep at all. And it was crazy cold. And it's like wet cold and windy cold and miserable cold. And uh, we hung out with these interns. We didn't, we didn't like get any sleep. And so I'm kind of tired here. Um, but I, I walked around Moody, and, and Matt pointed something out interesting was interesting. He's like, you know how many little Christian cliches or jokes around theology we heard tonight? Like Calvin jokes and Wesley jokes and jokes about contemporary, you know. It's really a fascinating thing. We can get so absorbed with the talk of religion and the categories of religion and the theology of religion and the who's right and the who's wrong and preoccupy ourselves so much with that that we don't really get that the essence of it is, is saying, God, I have no desire but to be with you where you're at. That's it. I don't want anything else. Um, imagine if we all lived like Marcel, taking his extra time and ministering for free to help these people at the pain of death. Um, John, the videographer guy, Matt, um, other people in this congregation who serve and give. I mean, imagine if we were all like that. 
we all just leveraged ourselves so much for ministry that we, we like Paul. Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. A drink offering was for God, like for his pleasure, like symbolic thing. And Paul's saying, like that symbolic thing, my life, my energy, my time, like my life force. You know what that feels when you're so bone weary? You know, it's being poured out to God. It's, it's like my offering to God. Go to bed tired with a smile on my face. So I'm giving it all to God. Imagine if a whole community of people were asking that question. God, where are you? I want to be where you're at. God, what would you have me do? What would you have me contribute? What would you have me say? What would you have me let go of? God, that's what I want. There's nothing else I want. I'm not desperate. I want what's deepest and, and, and neediest, and so I'm hungry for that, so please give me that. And, and if a whole congregation of people, 500 people in Bend, Oregon, at this church, were asking that question and really being willing to follow, like, I'm alive. I'm alive to you, God. I'm dead to the old self. If that was really happening, man, that would be so electric. I mean, just unbelievable. It, and, it, and it means that we stop asking this question, God, can you help me with my stuff? My life is getting a little out of control. My problems get getting a little too big. So fix, fix my problems, God. Um, I, I was mentioning in our Q&A service before we started that it's interesting about Santa Claus. When we think of God as Santa Claus, here's one of the repercussions of that. We, all, we know that it has to do with, like, giving stuff, right? So if God's just Santa Claus, like, we're reducing him down to just giving us stuff, right? Here's the other part that we don't talk about. <clears throat> Nobody has a relationship with Santa Claus. We don't even know what he does for 364 days of the year, you know? Um, the relationship with Santa Claus is all about being immature and greedy, right? It's all about um, Xbox, it's all about whatever. Um, when we treat God that way, we only go to him out of, out of desperation and need, fix this. We gotta get God out of Santa Claus, the Santa Claus outfit, and realize that it's a daily, weekly, hour by hour, minute by minute relationship with someone who loves us, with someone who will help us and ground us and give us what we really need, which is not stuff, but, but life and that life will well up and we will have life like Jesus said. He says, when I take care of my people, they have life and they have it to the full. And so joy comes and rejoicing comes and love comes. And then these wonderful things like character qualities, like patience and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. Did you guys hear that? Self-control? And these, these wonderful things start coming that it all begins to harmonize. And then you don't have as many enemies. Why? Because you're not a jerk. Right? And... And, you know, you, you're not always looking for yourself so they don't have to fight you the same way. And, and you can even forgo things. But, but God is there and he wants this relationship and he wants to, to just give us what a father wants to give a child, what is most necessary and meaningful. And, and we got to put down the stuff. we got to put it down. And if a brother, if Brother Cyprian can say, ah, oh, let us not pray out of desperation, but let us pray out of hunger for God who is our all. If Brother Cyprian, with his testimony, can say that, surely, surely, any of us in this room, despite your problems, I don't mean to minimize problems, problems are felt reality, and they are scary, and it does lead to fear, but 
what I'm saying is if a guy like that that's had those fears and those problems and those felt realities can cry out and hunger for God to ground him, surely we can too. I, uh, my, my wife doesn't know this. I don't even know if she's in here, but they went to Primeville the other day and like I was catching up on sleep and doing some work. And I was standing in my office with the windows facing the mailboxes and my slippers on, my sweatshirt on. And I knew that there was like five days of mail in there because Tamara never gets the mail. Like, when I'm gone. I'm like, I need that mail. And I'm like, but it's cold out there. It's like eight degrees. And I sat there literally for like a half hour, kind of, and I'd walk away, get some food, and come back. I mean, it's just like 45 feet, you know, the mailboxes. And I'm like, ooh, you know, should I have to, do I need to, can I do it in my slippers? Do I have to put on other shoes? I don't know. Like, like man, I'm afraid of this cold. Like, it's going to get me. And so then I like opened the door and I ran in my slippers to the mail. And, and halfway to the mail, the absurdity, the absurdity hit me because I had just been hearing so much about the Congo and rape in the Congo is a really crazy thing. It happens most when women who have little children who need to feed these children go into the bush, go into the forest to get wood because everything's driven off of charcoal there. Um, to get wood to be able to sell in the city to just get a little bit of food for their kids. And they know that that danger is there. And, and can you imagine the struggle? And the, do I go into the bush or not? But my kids, they need to eat. And I'm sitting here going, man, I'm de- my fear is eight-degree weather. And I'm like, do I risk running to the mailboxes or not? Is, I mean, imagine if that was the bush. That's fear. My, my trials are light and they're momentary and they're, they're insignificant. And even if they were worse, there's a degree that they could go to that, that I've met Christian brothers and sisters that are responding out of faith. They count it as, as suffering, that their suffering would take them closer to God. And in the midst of trials, they find joy. And they have smiles that you can see in the worst of places where there are no smiles. And, and surely, I can get on board with what God's doing and say, this stuff is really silly. I want to be a part of the team. Marcel, the guy that spoke last week, said something when we were laid over in Portland. He, he, we were talking to him, and he says, listen, it is like the train. You, God is the train, and you either get on the train or the train runs you over and kills you, and then God goes on and does not care. <laughs> he kills you and keeps right on going. Um, and he was, he was expressing something so simple, that God is about God's plan. We either respond in faith and follow and get on board with what he's doing, or we choose not to, and we bellyache about pornography and taxes, and not having enough money, and burnt relationships, and, and we just, we bellyache about our stuff and our lot in life, and the train is here. We have a town that I know God cares about. We have resources and talents, and this church is more ridiculously talented. I mean, if you're really talented, you probably feel like an idiot in this church, because there's so much talent above that. Like, that's how I feel. Um, I don't mean that as a put down. I mean, it's just a really weird church. Like, there's every kind of talent I've ever seen is like compressed into this church. There's so much that we can do. 
to get on board what God's doing and make a difference in this world and know the joy of serving and being with God. Let's let that be our hunger. Can we do that? I mean, can we make that our deepest desire? So much higher than other things that would letting go of this other stuff, saying, I, letting go, God, now you pick me up, hit, hit it right here. You're my refuge. You're going to be my source of joy. I am hungry for that, like aching for that, hunger pains. It's like, that's all I want. It's all I think about. We can grow in maturity, can't we? Can we be teachable? Let me close just again with Psalms and, and let this be a, a closing prayer. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my sighing. Listen to my cry for help, my King and my God. For to you I pray. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. And you're not a God who takes pleasure in evil. With you the wicked cannot dwell. The arrogant cannot stand in your presence. You hate all who do wrong. You destroy those who tell lies. Skipping down to the bottom. But let us all take refuge in you. Let all who take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing. This is what, this, this is what fuels worship, if you didn't know. Let them ever sing for joy to be with you, to be in your presence. Please spread your protection over them. Let those who love your name, Father, let those who love your name, let there be people here who love your name, and may they rejoice in you. For surely, O oh Lord, you bless the righteous, and you, show, you surround them with your favor as with a shield. You protect them, you guard them, you hold them up. Father God, we just give you this church, we give you our lives, we give you our guts and our, our the core of who we are. We don't want to be caught up in trifles. It's so hard sometimes. Lord, it is so hard sometimes. Please give us the strength to let go of what is not you, that may, we may be able to grab hold of what is you, what you are about, what you do want to give us. Father, give us the strength. Our faith is weak. Please give us stronger faith. Give us the hope. Give us the desire. We pray in Christ's name.